Hello, and welcome to Ringer FC. My name is Chris Ryan. I am the caretaker manager at TheRinger.com, <laughs> and I am joined, as always, by my inverted wingers, Micah Peters. Man's not hot. Ryan O'Hanlon. I'm excited for this hour-long Ireland-Denmark breakdown. <laughs> That's because it's international break. We're all going on vacation forever. But first, uh, I want to get into a couple things today. So we have Premier League massive overreaction, some zonal question marks. Ryan has an interview with Jake Cohen. What would you? How would you describe Jake's professional uh, life? He's a sports lawyer. Sports lawyer. American J- sports Jake lawyer. Jake is going to talk to Ryan about the shakeup at Chelsea FC. Their technical director, Michael Eminalo, out after a 10-year run, starting with Avram Grant. Uh, yeah, very yeah, controversial figure. Yeah, yeah. So as a scout. we're gonna get into the Premier League overreactions, but I just want to I want to shoot you guys a couple of names by way of news here. Ooh. I just want to get your just, <laughs> just raw reactions. Can't raw race. reactions. Weston McKenney, Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent, Cameron Carter Vickers, Jesse Gonzalez. Who are these people? 2022 20, World 20, Cup champions. 20, they are playing. <laughs> they are young dudes who the USMNT has called up to face Portugal in their friendly. This uh, is like exactly what we wanted them to I do. I am firmly in right? favor of I have of not been Josh more excited Sargent for a USMNT friendly team. in a very long time. And Pulisic isn't even playing. Yeah, because he's had a hard year. <laughs> he's had a hard year, they said. Uh, interim coach... Dave Sasserin. Sarakin. Sarakin. Sorry. I've really (laughs) built Simmons that. Uh, He is is, uh, getting experimental, and he is bringing in the kids. And God bless him, man. I mean, like, why not? Yeah. I mean, Uh, nothing to lose. These these kids are like, it's going to be really exciting to see a group of new USMNT players. Yeah, I mean, it's... The next time the world the the U.S. plays a game that actually matters, so a World Cup game, well, I guess World Cup qualifying because yeah. that is now an issue, is in five years. So the <laughs> players on this team should only be guys that have a chance of being yes. a starter, essentially, in five years. And Josh Sargent played for the U-17s, the U-20s, and now will be making, hopefully, his senior How old debut. Is he? Uh, under 17. He turns 18 in either January or February, and then he can officially start playing for Werder Bremen because he's currently still underage, so he's right. not allowed to play for them yet. Okay. Is there anybody else besides Sargent that we should be keeping an eye out for the, uh, for this? Bill Hamid? Like... Of course, always Hamid. <laughs> Weston McKinney, too. I mean, he's he's started for Schalke a bunch this season. And Has he's, he? Yeah, he's at number six, which is sort of the position the U.S. never had, a yeah. holy midfielder. Um and the Beckerman, exactly. Beckerman, <laughs> Who cut his but hair good. Recently, actually, I, I, I still haven't seen pictures. Is he trying to like pretend like he's seventeen now? I he's have, like, I'm I've, a young yeah, yeah, He's trying to. <laughs> How do you do, fellow holding midfielders? <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we'll be really excited to see. Th- I, I actually am excited to see this UMNT Portugal game. We'll be talking Definitely. about that next week, probably. Uh, but, but but for now, let's get into these Premier League massive reactions. And the first one is N'Golo Conte is the difference between getting fired and winning the Premier League. Uh, I think that that is a, I guess like that's a, that's fair. I mean, came back in one zero win over Manchester United for Chelsea over the weekend. I, Coming off of a week where Antonio Conte losing to Roma three nothing, three nothing, three nothing, three nothing, and one of the worst goals the I've worst ever seen. Goal I've ever <laughs> seen. The positioning of Rudiger and David Luiz getting pulled, yanked all the way at the right side of the field by Enzeco. That might have been David Luiz's last. Oh wait, no, game that wasn't even. They didn't even score on that play. It, yeah. it was 
They did score. They did score. They all play? followed Jekko to the corner of the box, and another Roma player just ran in with no one near him, and they scored. It might have been Luis's last game as a Chelsea player again. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was benched and benched in a way that like people were reading into where he was sitting on in the reserves bench to make it seem like well, he wasn't even benched. He was uh, he wasn't in the he was dropped from the. Oh, I thought he was wearing a parka yeah. behind Conte. He was in like a pea coat. Yeah, <laughs> and Conte said it was for tactical reasons, but uh, you wear this coat for whale. tactical yeah, reasons. Exactly. <laughs> um, Chelsea can go from, I mean, this is a little new cycle of the Premier League now, but you can go from crisis to champions contend, you know, to title contenders mm-hmm. overnight. I don't think that they're title contenders. That's Manchester City is the only contender. Yeah. But it is, we have to talk about Conte because yeah. what he does for this team, and I think I was trying to bounce this as a takeoff uh, off of you, where I was like, you know, this is, seems like a season where one player can make the whole difference in a team, and you kind of re- rebutted that. But Conte and Chelsea, it, it frees up Fabregas. It seems to take all the pressure off the defenders. It allows the fullbacks to get forward. It 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 just makes this team make sense. Yeah. It. Well, you also don't have like Asby having to chase down Marcus Radford because Conte can do that for you, and also link up. I mean. He's going to find Murata's feet from like just outside the 18. He's going to be able to cycle it through the midfield. And also, he has the legs to cover. Like, he can fix all of the broken things. I I kind of feel like Conte is sort of one of the secret ripple effects of Conte on Chelsea is that he convinced all of the other managers that they could play with three in the back, too. Yeah, but no yeah. one can because Conte is the only guy that can essentially cover can place, an eighty-yard stretch. Yeah, on the center field. back and like number eight at the same time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's simplistic, obviously, but it's like he goes to Leicester, they win the league. He leaves Leicester, Ranieri gets fired. He goes to Chelsea, where the manager was fired, and they win the league. And then he's not playing, <laughs> and then Conte's about to get fired, and then he's back, and now they're. You know, they United. look great again. Yeah. I will say, though, not to, you know, Conte, obviously the reigning player of the year and kind of making the case to repeat, although I'm sure that other people have a say in it. This guy, I don't know if he will get in that conversation, but I continue to just be so impressed with Alvaro Morata, who I think Chris Smalling refers to as the Babadook because <laughs> he's going to see this dude uh, in his nightmares for a man. long time, man. I mean, like, that header was. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was so upset because it was like it was so pretty, but at the same time, where the hell was anyone? Yeah, like it's it's. I mean, a player with time and space looks world class, but I mean that the header was extremely was accurate. Was that header from like twelve yards out? Too? It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was but he like, also like met it at the absolute at the height right, and bent it right back into the. Perfect. It was like a sports science segment. It's like if you meet a ball like at this, yeah. at this velocity, <laughs> yeah. it can travel twenty you yards. Beat it at yeah. The apex of well, its travel. I think Murata is sort of. It's the same thing as Conte. It's like he. You look at sort of their the guys who are taking the shots for Chelsea and scoring the goals. It's Murata and then no one else basically. Yeah. So it's like without him, there's who's going to score on are this team. Are you a little let down by Hazard this year? Uh. Did you expect him to take an, like another leap and really like sort of get into that top four or five? I guess I've just never Cup. thought he was ever going to be in that um, 
that upper echelon. I mean, he's an incredible dribbler. Is but this I think more about your whole thing about I don't he's like Bel- Casey he's Belgian wingers. Demary Gray. <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh uh, we were talking about this idea that one player makes a team or breaks a team. The inverse of this theory is that, and this comes from a, a, a couple of Twitter listeners, so thank you for sending mm-hmm. in messages to us, that Coutinho is proving Ewing theory. Oh, God. <laughs> Go ahead. What do you think? Uh, I think that that is wrong, but also has a shred of truth yeah. in it. I think that, here's the thing, Felipe Coutinho is better than Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. He's a better soccer player. Yeah. So if he was on the field, I think Liverpool probably would have been better against yeah. West Ham. But I think the larger point here is that Felipe Coutinho is an extremely valuable, I hate that I'm describing another human being like this, commodity uh-huh. for Liverpool. <laughs> and we know that Barcelona was willing to pay a ton of money for him. And if Liverpool could sell him for the 125 million pounds, whatever, and then bring in like a just world-class like number six defensive midfielder and pair that defensive midfielder with Navi Keita next year and run it back with Salah and Firmino up top, Mane, and then some combination of Ox and Adam Alana on the right. Like, that is just a better team than if you have Jordan Henderson in there and Coutinho as an attacking Do midfielder. Do you think Coutinho There's, steps on the feet of Mane and Firmino and Salah? Like, is there just too many? Can you play that that lineup? Is that too many guys trying to do s- similar things? I think there's an argument for it because Coutinho, those other guys are all sort of just like, Vertical. Get the ball forward yeah. and go, and Coutinho is a little more. The pace um, of the game slows down around him a little bit. Yeah, yeah he likes to yeah. he likes to look up yeah. and like see what's going on. A yeah, bit. but at the same time, it's like this guy has scored numerous goals where Liverpool has been unable to break a team down, and mm-hmm. he's sort of unlocked that. But I guess you could make the argument that they're unable to break the team down because he's on the field. <laughs> it's <laughs> right? it's interesting. I mean, the uh, the reverse of this is like looking at what's happened with United in terms of their creativity since Pogba left. I mean, the side ends like I think uh, it's coincided with a dip in Mkhitaryan's form as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a dip in Mickey's form, and then there's also the fact that without Pogba, United have created exactly half of the chances that they would have otherwise. I think it was something around they averaged like seven point six a game, yeah. and they did like thirteen point eight when when Pogba was on the field. Um, that and it's just I think that. Yeah, I mean, like you, you, you don't get anything going forward because you don't have Pogba to connect the the two halves of the field. He shortens the field. It's kind of like frustrating, just from like looking at it analytically, that Pogba also went out right before they started playing all of the good teams. Yeah, right. So it's yeah. like, is the issue that they're just playing good teams Ducking now? Challenges. Yeah, classic exactly. Pogba. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, and on top of that, you have uh, the rubblings about. Jose Mourinho talking about we want more money to sign more players than January transfer window. Yeah, and then news came out today that they said that he's going to have to sell before he can buy now. Yeah, and the thing is that we have plenty of talented players. I think the issue is being able to organize them in a way that makes sense. And there's got to be a ladder to Lukaku, and there isn't now. Like he's just getting way too isolated. Yeah, the the Rashford Lukaku partnership. That's just like. A bad idea. Like yeah. those guys aren't. That's just not they how don't complement each play. other at all. Yeah. Um, let's keep moving on with massive overreactions. This one, I actually don't think is that much of an overreaction. Arsenal should have lost by nine. <laughs> if you watch this match, the the three one 
<laughs> makes it seem like, oh, Arsenal really like they gave gave City a run for their money. Wow. <laughs> no. no. Wait, no. But, but one of the goals was offside and the other one was a, a <laughs> the wrong. It wasn't a penalty. So it was a, a tie at best. Yeah, we should, we should give Arsenal a point here. <laughs> Arsenal should have lost by double digits. They had so many like I think that almost like City were freaked out by the amount of counters they had. They were just yeah. like, I don't even know how to, what are we supposed to do here? And it's like jogging past, you know, Kalasinic and, and just, they, they, they hit like the, the woodwork a couple of times on, on counterattack breaks. They look absolutely imperious. My favorite moment of the 2017-18 season so far has got to be Aaron Ramsey bulldozing Ederson into the goal <laughs> yep. and then celebrating mm-hmm. as the entire team Come takes on, off man. the other yeah. way. That was so good. Um, yeah. Should Arsenal feel at all good about a 3-1? I, I feel like they played okay um, for Arsenal. I mean, it was, again, another one of those games where it's like their press is essentially one player just sprinting and no one else doing anything, and then that player looking back and yelling yeah. at everyone, which the, is like the Ramsey. The one video that was been going around of Ramsey pressing Ederson and no one being behind him, and yeah. Ederson just like <laughs> moves to the left and passes, and then like City basically have a secondary break going with like stones <laughs> storming upfield. Yeah, is so funny. Uh, listen, man, because Ramsey I... turns around and is like, "Where is everybody?" Yeah. I just get annoyed watching Arsenal play now. They're, I mean, like they're not even aesthetically fun to look at anymore. Yeah, I, they play slow because they play a little slower. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, and then there's this other thing going around Twitter where it's like it's six Arsenal players in a line, like five yards from the 18, and you look at it and you're kind of like, oh, like that's pretty good defensive shape they've got there. They're all even with each other, and then you realize Arsenal's attacking, and all of their attacking players are just in a horizontal line, which <laughs> yeah. is literally the least effective way to break a team down. Um, but, like, City is just, like, unstoppable, and I, I think Arsenal was f- okay, you know. I'd I, like to go back and acknowledge the fact that we egregiously, blasphemously looked over Kevin De Bruyne in our MVP discussion last week. Yeah, that's true. But this is the thing, <laughs> is that would you say if De Bruyne was not in that side, how much worse is City? I don't. He's a. I mean, he's become like a he's different. A genius, and very, but I don't know that. Like th- that's like the difference between them being where they are. What is it? They six points clear right now. Eight. Right? Eight points clear, and everybody else is that. I mean, they if, do if, have. If they like, didn't have him. I don't know that they would fall off that much. I, I don't know. This is one of those things that you just would have to. Or that he would just it. be like, you know what? Now Fabian Delph is the new Shabby Alonso, and I've like fixed him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You well, turn Fabian Delph into a fullback. What is going on? Well, that's I, the thing. It's like you see this, and it's like then you see like Mkhitaryan, who was the Bundes- best player in the Bundesliga, and now it's like created the most. He chances. can only succeed under certain situations, apparently, and it's like Manchester City has five guys like Mkhitaryan. They're all playing incredibly well. They scored thirty-eight goals. They have a thirty-one positive thirty-one goal differential. I think it's more. Isn't it more than a? This it's, podcast it's is more, irrelevant. Like whatever <laughs> we're talking we, about is zero not, point. It has to do with the title. Like, their goal differential is the same as Man U and Tottenham's combined. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Jesus! They didn't Hopping start Jesus on, was, on, on against Arsenal. It was no. just great. It was incredible, man. Oh man! Um, they're. they're, they're they're deserving of all the plaudits they're going to get. I hope that by the end of the season, we're like, these are the this is the Warriors. Let me ask you guys also a question. Just thoroughly enjoy Pep Guardiola after the game, just talking about Arsene Winter's comments about the officiating, just being like, "Sucks to suck, dude. You, you <laughs> lost." <laughs> Do you guys think 
Serious question. Is Manchester City the best team in Europe right now? Like, uh, who, would you take any other team over them at this moment? Um, I would I would like to see them play Barca, but yeah. but y- y- I'm pretty close to saying yes. That's crazy, and I, I agree. It's you know, I mean, look what they did in Napoli. Yeah, who's arguably you know the, the second fourth, best team, third, right fourth now. best you know? team. Yeah, you know what I mean. I would like. I guess I would like to see them play. Um, a team that has no interest in high press against yeah. them. A team that would just never let them get a break. Like play a Juve. Yeah. Play play a team that's just going to be really smart about what they do. Um, an Atletico, you know. Yeah. But just somebody, but Atletico at full strength, not whatever it is that they're doing now. Yeah. But an Atletico that would just be like, we'll we'll counter press you at times, but we're essentially going to be incredibly compact and you're never going to get that like one, two, three pass with De Bruyne, Sterling and Aguero breaking on a keeper, yeah. which is essentially like what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's keep it moving. I want to get one more thing in on massive of reactions, which is this Richarlson should be starting for a top six team. Uh, I agree with that. <laughs> what, what team? I think that Manchester he should, United. Yes, yes. <laughs> we're talking about the Watford Come striker. Come to death row voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my the thing about Richarlison, he's twenty. Just if anyone ever says like this person isn't Premier League proven, so your team shouldn't sign him, just be just show them this. Yeah. Like he was sort of not even like a super highly rated prospect coming out of Brazil, and he's only twenty. Already got four goals, two assists. Only Harry Kane and Mo Salah have more away goals this season, by the way. Just He's like an incredible dribbler, just like super fun to watch. Yeah. And again, only 20, and this is his first season in England playing for fucking Watford. And he's just tearing it up. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to ask from that Watford game that uh, Ever- Everton won 3-2. Somehow. Yeah. Uh, is do you think that Tom Cleverly should be designated permanent penalty taker for the rest of his time with the England national team. <laughs> 12 minutes of added time and he I, he had the Fergie the, time the Fergie time right penalty to, to to steal a point and escape justice. I I wasn't even thinking is he going to make it? I was wondering like How is he was going he at Everton it? long enough to warrant the I don't celebrate against the old team? <laughs> And he just—I mean—that looked like me with a six iron. It went like flying to the other direction. Yeah, he like almost like fell over himself too with when he took it. Like it was like he'd never kicked a ball before. It was rough, man. I felt bad for him. I like, did. I was so bummed out. Yeah. Like after, <laughs> like I was, I, like I was, I was, I, I was. It was an amazing second half. An amazing second yeah, half. It was, it was a good Premier League game. It's like what you kind of need. You know? Yeah, and and then he just just tripped at the finish line. It's just like, don't have Tom Cleverly take your penalty. Ever. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Let Rashawn take it. Exactly. Or, or Andre Gray. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with some zonal question marks about the Premier League. In need of great talent for your business but short on time? You don't have to get lost in the huge stack of resume to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. Smarter tools. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being seen by the right candidates. Then, ZipRecruiter puts its smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of the posting so you receive the best possible matches. No wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. 
ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by growing businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerFC. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerFC. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerFC. We're going to have a cool interview with sports lawyer Jake Cohen about the shakeup in the Chelsea C-suite in the front office of Chelsea <laughs> uh, a little bit later with Ryan. Uh, but we're going to do some really zonal question marks. We'll try and keep them brief here. Uh, this one, I think, is like a little bit of a larger discussion. And that's, do you care when your team plays it safe? And this is sort of a good good one for this room because Ryan and I cheer for Liverpool. Ryan and Micah cheers for Manchester United. Uh, Mourinho's come under some heat recently for his tactical attitude against fellow top six sides, especially away. away. Mm. Um, Liverpool, I they won 4-1, but I think that the takeaway from the West Ham game was that Liverpool was setting up much deeper and mm-hmm. playing much more... Not conservatively, but they knew the best thing that we have at our disposal is the break. So we're gonna like lure West Ham into doing stupid, making mistakes deep in our half, yeah. and then and then hit them on the break. Does it bother you? Do you want to be like? Does your fandom come with a requirement that your team is like plays just interesting on the soccer? front foot, just like going after it? I mean, mm. listen, I've. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I, you know, like, I, I wanted results, and, I mean, like, I don't think it's too much to ask that, to want results and to to watch an interesting game. Um, I, like, there's also the issue when those two things never touch. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that Jose Mourinho hasn't won, well, the first game that he won against a ostensible top six side was against Tottenham last week, and then... Like this week falls to Chelsea. He's there's only United has only scored one goal against top six sides in the last 900 minutes of competition against them, which is like a bummer. I I, I do mind when my team plays way too conservatively. What about you? Uh, I don't really care, but I think we need to sort of define the two, like what we mean here, like. As long as the team I'm rooting for is creating the better chances than the team that's playing against them, I'm cool with that. You're cool with however that comes. Yeah. I think if my team was like sitting back and hoping to get like a corner and score score on a header um, and like win games based on that, that would suck. But like Liverpool, it's a very clear strategy and they pummeled West Ham with it. You know, like mm-hmm. they weren't dominating possession. This wasn't, you know, vintage Barcelona, but it was sit back, and then every time you win the ball back, just go straight down the field. I felt bad for Lovren because I was like, you couldn't have done that with him in the starting lineup. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you make him play Beckenbauer, like, for, for two months, and then, like, all of a sudden it's Clavin and, and Matt up, and you're like, let's drop back a little bit. Let's just play it safe, <laughs> man. Let's protect Mingway. Like, it's like, what the, what is going on? Yeah. Um, Roy Keane on TV, I think this was, uh, I can't remember if this is just for this game, but he recently said, I think if Liverpool were playing out in my backyard, I wouldn't watch them. So, 
that's not a compliment. Yeah. But still, I, I think that it speaks to the larger thing, which is that when your team is in, not even the top six, because there are teams like Everton and West Ham that also institutionally, historically think of themselves as an attractive football team, mm-hmm. yeah. football playing teams. They don't just want to win. They don't just want to get in the Europa League or challenge for the top four. They want to do it in style. And it's it's a really difficult proposition because often the more aggressive a team gets, the more open they are to getting their asses kicked. Yeah. Um, and I think a team like Huddersfield and Watford, who both have seen some success this season, show us that you can get a lot of like enjoyment out of a team that doesn't play not to be beaten, which I think is the, the problem people have with like Tony Pulis and some of those teams, but they play to not get their asses kicked. Does it, and there's a difference. Yeah, I mean, like it's the difference between playing like a big club and playing like a small club, I guess. Um, and it's just the fact that we have all of this stuff <laughs> yeah. and play like mm-hmm. you sit back and then there's maybe a, a flurry at the in the last ten minutes of the game where you might have been able to rescue a point out of it. Yeah, it's, that's the issue. Yeah, well, it's it's just easier to improve your team by organizing the defense, um, just because that's a much easier thing to train because it's very reactive and you're not having to create stuff. So it makes sense for like a team with less money to do that because ultimately the way to be a good attacking team is to pay a lot of money to get the best attacking players sure. for yeah. the most part. Yeah. So like it makes sense for a team lower down the table to be conservative, but the higher up you get, it's you kind of have to figure out how to maximize your attack to succeed. Do you think that it has something to do with... I, I think that w- one of the reasons why this is such an interesting conversation is because nobody actually remembers performances. They only remember results. And Mourinho knows that. Mm. And Ferguson knew that. Mm. There was a great graphic the other day that was going around Twitter. <laughs> From 2008. Of him, and he played like eight defenders against Arsenal yeah. and yeah. won 2 nothing. And I don't remember, I, I sort of vaguely remember those kind of lineups. It was like Darren Gibson and John O'Shea, and then like nine, they were playing in the midfield. Yeah. And then, and then it was you like had Hernandez insane. and Rooney up top. Yeah, basically it was it was like eight two. That was his. That was his formation, and nobody remembers the games like that. And I actually, you know, I I have vague recollections of Mourinho parking the bus, and nobody will ever forget Inter playing Samuel Eto as a fullback. But all I remember is how many rings Mourinho has. I don't really like care about the football that much, and I don't even like his teams. You know what I mean? Like you don't really like I, I you, you kind of have so much respect for a team that wins the title or challenges for the title in a big way that you don't really sit there and you're just like, oh man, but the football was so beautiful. You know, where's BL's at? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I I think that's true in some ways. Um until you literally just watch Manchester City play this season. That's yeah. true. That's true. But if I, you're talking I, about spending money on attacking talent, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more question before we go to Ryan's interview with Jay Cohen, Micah, because mm-hmm. uh, there was a little bit of transfer gossip going around today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> David De Gea for Rafael Varane, straight up. I will fight you. Yeah. No, I've like I've De Gea can't leave for Rafael Varane. Listen, I love Rafael Varane. He's as good as he needs to be. Uh, I think is the way that I would describe him. It's just kind of like he's a Swiss Army knife. Each time he does Talk something, about Real Madrid center back Rafael Varane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it like it's like a cool new thing comes out. All of a sudden, he has the pace to track down 
I don't know, pick your pacey forward. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like if he gets beat, who's going to stop? Who's going to, I mean, like, who's going to save the shot? I mean, we are not as good as the results suggest. We've had this, we've had this conversation yeah. before. And that's mainly because of De Gea. Yeah. Well, it's, it also just goes back to what we're talking about. By playing so conservatively, then you're putting a bigger onus on your keeper. And arguably, De Gea is the best keeper in the world. Um, like, if you look at expected goals compared to goals allowed, Man U has the widest gap. Yeah. Expected goals has them at 11. They've allowed uh, five or six. Um, they've allowed five. And a lot of that can be attributed to De Gea. So it's like getting rid of him and bringing in a center back, especially a center back like Varane who plays like in a really high line with Real Madrid. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't seem like it makes any sense for what Mourinho is trying to do. I would Varane pairing just to watch. And that, and I while I totally know that David De Gea probably saves United like nine points a season at least, I was kind of like, I was watching Tottenham's third string keeper basically single-handedly beat Palace. And I was like, maybe there are more good goalkeepers than we know about, and it's just that we watch Liverpool all the time, so we don't understand that concept. I think that's true. Watching the U.S. and Liverpool all the time will corrode your brain. (laughs) Okay, that's it for me and Micah. Ryan has a really cool interview with Jake Cohen, a sports lawyer, who's talking to him about the shakeup at Chelsea. We'll be back next week to talk USMNT. Take care. Guys, I wanted to take a second to tell you about this great app I just discovered, Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These aren't last resort places. They're actually cool, top-rated hotels you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take for a while. Or if you're the type of person who likes to plan ahead and have things locked down, you can actually book a room in advance with Hotel Tonight. Up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Whether you want a room for tonight, tomorrow, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. Because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, Chris and Micah are gone, but I am joined by Jake Cohen, who is an American sports lawyer living in London. Uh, he works in a, for an investment firm that focus on, focuses specifically on sports-related acquisitions, um, and he's also a Chelsea supporter. And we wanted to talk to him about the recent upheaval in the Chelsea hierarchy. How you doing, Jake? Very well, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me. So, uh, yesterday, Michael Emanalo, who is the technical director of Chelsea, stepped down in what I think was kind of kind of a shocking move, um, sort of given Chelsea's midweek loss to Roma. A lot of the talk around the club sort of centered on uh, Antonio Conte's uh, vulnerable position, and that maybe maybe changed on Sunday. And now Emanalo is gone in a way that I think most people weren't expecting. Um, so, Jake, I'm going to do my best Chelsea fan impression, and you're going to tell me why I'm wrong. Michael Emanalo sold Kevin De Bruyne, 
couldn't sign Alexandro. He replaced Nemanja Matic with Danny Drinkwater. Good riddance. That's the uh, average Chelsea fan take. Why is that wrong? Um, I mean, I mean, it's definitely a funny impression, but um, it is very wrong in that it sort of misconstrues what um, Michael Emanuel's role was at Chelsea. So, um, in the Kevin De Bruyne example, the fact that he was sold overlooks the fact that he was brought in in the first place. Um, you know, he, had, he was identified as a great young talent. Chelsea was able to bring him in cheaply on Emanuel's recommendation, who took another recommendation from a great scout at Chelsea called Pierre Devisser. And they were able to buy him very, very cheaply. He became part of the Boston Bowen Army, uh, was very successful in Germany, and ended up being sold on for, I think, like two or three times what they sold him for. And yes, they did sell him. However, um, Jose Mourinho decided that he was surplus to requirements. So Michael Manel's job is not to name the starting 11 or name the squad. His job is to bring the manager the best possible players, and it's the manager's job to decide whether or not they're going to be part of the squad. Jose Mourinho decided Kevin De Bruyne was not part of the squad. So thinking as a technical director, um, which is part of a football role and part of an executive role, would you rather have you know, 16, 17 million pounds just sitting on the bench, or would you rather convert that asset into more money to spend on transfers such as, you know, like the Diego Costa, like Fabgrass, for example. Um, so while Chelsea's definitely still a bit too early um, on De Bruyne, especially given that he has three and a half years left on his contract, um, if Jose Mourinho, you know, said in no uncertain terms that there was no clear path to the first team, you know, naturally he has to be sold. And with regards to Alexander, I think it's really important to note that Chelsea offered uh, Juventus a world record transfer fee um, for a defender um, in the summer, where that transfer, where that record transfer fee for a defender was already broken mm-hmm. um, by Manchester City when they brought Kyle Walker over. So we're talking about an unprecedented sum that Chelsea offered for Alexander. And in any transaction, you need a willing buyer and a willing seller, and Juventus simply wasn't willing to sell him, I think, for anything under than £70 million, uh, which is just uh, an, an absurd fee, um, which is about 40% more than Kyle Walker, which is about 40% more than the Kyle Walker fee, which, again, world record fee. So, I, I, think you, uh, I think you get at um, sort of the interesting dynamic here, though. I think a lot of Chelsea fans right now, they sort of look at it as the manager versus the technical director, um, like as if Michael Amanala resigning means that uh, Antonio Conte sort of won out, you know? And I think I think that is probably a way too simplistic way of viewing it, correct? Um, yeah, definitely, yeah. I think that is very simplistic. And also, um, this is to um, the role of the technical director, especially um, Michael Amanala's role at Chelsea. So um, the only reason Antonio Conte retired in the first place is because Michael Amanala strongly recommended him. There is nobody at Chelsea that wants to see Antonio Conte succeed more than Michael Emanuel because it was Michael Emanuel's recommendation to Mr. Abramovich um, that Conte be hired. Um, Emanuel has always had a great working relationship with managers, um, as evidenced by um, you know the glowing comments uh, Antonio Conte said upon Mike's departure the other day. And beyond that, I I would agree. It's, it's definitely been unfairly or just incorrectly framed as MNL versus whichever manager is in place. Uh, I think it's important to note that MNL already offered and actually tried to resign 
in 2013 when Jose Mourinho um, was brought back to Chelsea for the second time just to give um, Jose a little bit more free reign. And both the club and Jose said, no, we want you to stay. We need you. Um, so even though that's how it's sort of been depicted in the media or how fans have considered, uh, it's the furthest thing from the case um, in terms of how the relationships and dynamics actually work at Chelsea for the now six years uh, Mike was the technical director at the club. And so he's sort of spitting this forward and looking at sort of what comes next. I, I think how hard is it going to be to replace him, you know, based on what he's done? Hasn't he sort of created the um, sort of loan system that uh, Chelsea is now infamous or famous for, depending on how you look at it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one because I think the job of the technical director, one, it, it doesn't even exist in certain clubs. So that position just does not exist at like Tottenham Hotspur or Manchester United. They have different people who will take on different facets of what the technical director job at Chelsea is like. And even the technical director role, um, I would say, you know, what um, Michael Emanalo did on a daily basis is probably a lot different than what Michael Edwards does at Liverpool mm. or what Lex Reed does at Southampton. Um, you know, I think that role is probably tailored to the strengths and weaknesses of that particular individual. So, Tiki uh, Bogiristan at Manchester City, Monty Rodriguez at Roma. Um, these roles are probably a little bit different at these clubs given you know, the different needs of the club and the strengths and weaknesses of the person in that role. So at Chelsea, I think it's going to be a difficult one because not only do you need a strong football background, you also need the um, sort of logistical technical infrastructure uh, and networking to continue um, the loan army, which I agree the jury has been out on that, but I think objectively it's been a massive success. In order to, I mean, it's it was implemented, I think, in 2010, the year before Eminem became technical director when he was the head of scouting when they sent the mind Robidon, Rodskovic, and another player whose name is escaping me at the moment to Patessa Arnhem. And there's three players then swelled into, you know, the 30 or 40 players that Chelsea has on one right now. Um, and in order to be um, as successful as possible um, in this financial fair play era, even though um, we've seen some clubs such as Manchester and PSG seem to um, flood those rules, but the rules are in place. And mm-hmm. so that dictates that you really can only spend as much as you earn. And that means you can't go out and spend 50 million pounds um, on every player. So youth development becomes extremely important. And given the nature of the loan system, it's really the ultimate low-risk, high-reward approach to identifying, recruiting young talent that will ultimately feed into the first team. Because the transfer fee is to buy them as young as possible, if you can identify them early, which um, is testing to all the great stuff Chelsea has that they've been able to do so. Um, the transfer fee, the compensation, and the wages are going to be cheap enough that even if they don't work out, you'll at least be able to break even or maybe even turn a small profit. And this has been evident um, over the years with the likes of Christian Atsu, who spent a lot of time at Patessa, ended up uh, being built in Newcastle. Um, 
Cochin Trail is another good example. Uh, uh, Kojima is on one right mm-hmm. now. Who knows what'll happen with him? Um, Nathaniel is Chalaba, even though I think a lot of Chelsea fans, including myself, um, would have liked to see him continue to progress at Chelsea. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Mo Salah, Romo Lukaku, you know, these are all, these are all players that were able to turn profits for Chelsea, which they've then been able to reinvest and, you know, sign guys like Alvaro Morata, uh, Seth uh, you know, Jimmy Bakayoko, Antonio Rudiger, et cetera. Um, and that's what you need to do. And not only that, not only have they funded, um, these superstar acquisitions, it's also been a very cost-effective way to bring in first-team squad members such as Thibaut Courtois and uh, Andre Scripton, who has you know, made been the best player on the pitch um, against Manchester United the other day. Did a phenomenal job, job um, handling Romelu Lukaku, one of the best strikers on the planet, uh, stepping into Davo Luiz the last minute. Um, so I think the one army from a, both a business and a football perspective is objectively very, very successful. Yeah, I think you sort of just described it all there. It's the thing that stands out to me is he has created this large sort of self-sustaining system and he he's been the technical director when they've won a bunch of trophies recently and he's been there through so many different coaches where kind of the constant at Chelsea sort of on the recruitment and both on the player and managerial side um, has been sort of a churn, but Emanuel has always been there. So I think the, for me, the interesting thing is the, the one constant of Chelsea over the past half decade is now kind of gone. So it's going to be interesting to see sort of where they go to next. But uh, you know, I guess we'll we'll wait and see. We uh, we really appreciate you coming on, Jake, um, and we hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Ryan. Good to chat with you. All right. Thanks to Jake for coming on. It'll be fascinating to see what happens next with Chelsea. Um, Thanks to Chris and Micah. Thanks to all our listeners. Um, We'll be back next week with no commentary on the Premier League because uh, it's the international break with some World Cup spots on the line. Um, So we'll be talking about that, maybe about the U.S. and whatever happens they're giving against Portugal. Um, But we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Things change, you know? The weather changes. Your mood definitely changes, so why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. Or, if you're the type of person that likes to plan ahead and have things locked down, Uh, That is not me. You can actually book a room in advance with Hotel Tonight. Up to seven days in advance everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Whether you need a room for tonight, tomorrow, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now.